Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. Today our topic is on whether or not you can lose your salvation once you have genuinely received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we are going to go through God's Word and find out what exactly is or is not possible, and as always, get God's answers to this question and not rely on the world's opinion of what we think God is trying to tell us. And a brief segue on that. If you ever have a question and need an answer on what God wants of you, desires of you, what He did or did not do, go to God's Word first and study it before you go to someone else for an answer. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people on the planet with opinions and ideas of what God meant or didn't mean, and that is a very dangerous practice to be involved in, and just as risky looking to those people for answers. God's Word is not open for debate or opinion. God's Word is God's Word, and it's no different than you expecting your Word to be your Word and not having someone else come along and decide for you what you meant to say and the same goes for God. With that, we are going to go straight to God's Word and get all of our answers directly from Him on whether or not we can lose our salvation. And as I typically do, we are going to look at a number of passages throughout God's Word today, and we begin our adventure in this seemingly controversial topic with Romans 8, 37 through 39. In all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How about that? Do we even need to spend any more time on this topic? Isn't that so ultra clear? Nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Not one thing. And I think it would be great just to stop there and leave that exactly for what it is and exactly what God told us it is. But there are so many more verses that prove we can't lose our salvation after all. And why are there so many additional passages that discuss this subject? Because God knew we would evidently attempt not to listen very well, and worse yet, just take him at his word if he just told us once. So we continue with John 6:37 through 40. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all those he has given me, but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at that last day. Again, incredibly clear and direct. What more does Jesus have to say? I will not lose anyone my Father, God, gives me. Jesus, God in the flesh, none. And I will raise them up on that last day. So super clear. But we need to keep going. John 10, 28 through 30 says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. 
My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. And we see here very definitive words from God, words like eternal life, never perish. Again, no one can take away those who have genuinely accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, and that is repeated twice for us in just two sentences. Now, in what we have read so far, at least in my mind, and to my understanding, all of our passages fully support the fact that we do not serve a fickle God or a God who is up in the air about things and his commitments like we are. These passages clearly state that when God makes a promise, it is simple, direct, and kept, unlike us all too frequently. Consider this. With the verses so far from God's word, and if we somehow could lose our salvation, at what point would we lose it? Under what condition or conditions would sever our ties with God? Just what would you have to do to make that happen? What sin or sins would cause a separation? Just where in Scripture does God outline this for us? After all, God outlines everything else very clearly that is required of us, so why not this? The answer, nowhere in Scripture can we find particulars on what will disqualify us from being separated from God. On the contrary, we have been reading in abundance and in just a few passages that it is once for all set, secure, permanent, everlasting, eternal, sealed, absolute. And why? Because we do not have anything to do with our being saved in the first place. It is all God. God decides what it will or won't be. And I believe the whole premise of believing we can lose our salvation is nothing more than further manipulation by Satan to distort our relationship with God and on multiple fronts. First, it is a great way for Satan to distract someone from truly living a life that is free in Christ Jesus and the way God wants us and expects us to live. God tells us plainly that we are set free from sin when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior set free completely, no caveats. How do we know this for sure? God told us. Romans 8, 1 through 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Here we see that there is a complete freedom from our former slavery to sin. Again, this is what God decided to do for us, not something we came up with that we can get and give away for certain infractions. If that were the case, no one would have any security in their salvation, and that would result in zero freedom. We would live out our lives constantly wondering what we just might have done wrong today, and that would, could banish us from God. And that idea and those thoughts can be from no other than Satan himself. Now on the flip side, and secondly, in believing we can lose our salvation, would keep us living in either a completely depressed and hopeless state or a completely arrogant state of mind. In the first example, if we lived our lives always wondering what we might do that would ultimately cause the loss of our salvation, would have to cause considerable stress and anguish over everything we do, and as humans, we fully know we mess most everything up we do anyway. So it would easily be assumed 
that it's just not worth the battle of not even knowing or caring where one stands at this point in life, saved or unsaved, loved or unloved. I can't imagine living life like that. The second example would lead to extreme arrogance in that if I always somehow knew I could pull myself together and not make that salvation losing mistake, in other words, not sin, then I am really in with God and a really good person. And I can't imagine living like that either. Yet both examples are how many people live their lives out and supposedly for God. And there is a warning about this last arrogant kind of attitude. And we find that in 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So if we can lose our salvation through sinning, that means we can't sin. And if we think we don't sin because we can't, we have deceived ourselves and we aren't saved after all. So it boils down to one simple, easy to understand promise from God. When you accept me, Jesus, as Lord and Savior, you can't change that because it is something I give you. I, God, gave you salvation. You did not get this on your own. You did not find it on your own. It is a gift from me, God, and it is a gift that I, God, will not take back from you, even if you hand it to me or try to shove it back in my face. For one, if you are truly saved, you would never, ever want to give it back. And if you are truly saved, you would know you could never live without it. And God knows that too. Or perhaps it's nothing more than what Satan conned Adam and Eve with in the garden and that of posing a simple question. Are you sure you can't lose your salvation, what God gave you? Are you sure God meant what he said? Are you sure God wouldn't renege on your salvation? Don't forget, Adam and Eve gave a great deal of thought to questions just like that and fell and fell hard. Now let's look at our next passage, which comes from Hebrews 7:25. Therefore he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him, Jesus, because he, Jesus, always lives to intercede for us, those who are truly saved. More familiar words from God, save completely and always lives to intercede. Nowhere have we read that God saves under certain circumstances and lives to intercede for only those who do a good job living a supposedly good life. We see further evidence here in 1 Peter 1, 18 through 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Ah, now we are getting even more concrete in just how secure genuine salvation is. This passage states that if indeed we had been purchased into salvation with perishable things such as gold and silver, we could and would indeed lose our salvation and for that matter, never have it. But since our salvation was purchased with blood, the blood of complete innocence, Jesus, God himself in the flesh, spotlessly perfect and without sin, we are indeed set free from ever going back to Satan. Again, it's a gift not of our own finding and doing. Continuing 1 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, 
He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Again, it's a promise, firm to the end. This passage, however, is very intriguing, and it is the first passage that gives us a whole new perspective on the assuredness we have in genuine salvation. Let's read the first sentence again. He will also keep you firm to the end, so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will be blameless. Blameless when? On the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice, not blameless while we are here on earth living out our earthly sinful lives, but blameless in the end when our Savior returns for those who are saved. Then and only then will we be truly blameless and perfect. This makes it clear that we are waiting for our salvation to be made complete because as of now it is incomplete in that we continue to sin and desire our own will. We can go even further and see this in Philippians 1.6. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. We read that a good work has begun in us, not completed in us yet. We are waiting to be completed in the end, but the promise is the one, God, who began the good work of salvation will not stop under any circumstances until Jesus returns, at which point it is complete. Continuing on, 1 John 1, 7 through 9 states, But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light, that is God, and genuine salvation through faith, we have, not might have or may get to keep, the fellowship with one another, and the saving blood of Jesus, His Son, who purifies us from all sin. Do we see anything that states we only get partially purified? No, we are purified. Because you cannot partially purify something. It's either pure or it's not. There is no kind of pure. And if God is the one who carries out the purification process and purifies us from all our sin, sins past, present, and future, how is it possible for us to contaminate what God did and made possible? Colossians 2, 13-14 When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Continuing on to Psalm 103.12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions, our sins, from us. We just are not that skilled, that powerful, and that clever to pull off depurifying ourselves. This again goes back to being exceptionally arrogant if one believes we are capable of doing that. Jumping back to John 1, 7 through 9 to conclude this passage, it says, And if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, which we read earlier. But it continues, But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and 
purify us from all unrighteousness. All right, so we do need to regularly recognize our sins and confess those sins we commit. But this then directly points to the fact that we are going to keep sinning, even while we are genuinely saved. We are going to be sitting up a storm until Jesus returns. It is also evident that God is very aware of this and is not surprised and is not holding this against the one who has given their life over to be born again and will, that word again, purify the genuinely saved from all unrighteousness while we walk through this life in preparation for the next. There is, however, a few verses left that we have not covered that can be pulled out by those hoping to prove that you can lose your salvation and pulled out of context. And our next passage could easily be misunderstood if we don't look at it carefully. That of 2 Peter 2, 20 through 22. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. And if you carefully listen to God's word here, it is very clear that he is not telling us about anyone who has repented, one who has confessed with their mouth and believed in their heart that Jesus is God, the Savior. No, he calls these people frauds, dogs, and pigs. That's pretty blunt. And I have not read in Scripture that God ever refers to believers, those who have truly confessed, as dogs and pigs. This passage never mentions repentance from these people, and we only see they were, quote, knowing of Jesus. It was also stated they escaped. They were not set free because of transformation in Christ Jesus. I think the word escape is quite fascinating in this case, because usually if you escape, you are still looking behind you as you run away in fear that you will be caught. However, when you receive Christ as Lord and Savior, you have been released, set free. The prison door was opened for you to leave in freedom and peace. Furthermore, most often when you escape, your only reason to get away is to go back to where you came from and go back to your old way of life. And that is what the last sentence of our passage states. There was nothing serious about the events. The dog vomited, and even though it was being taken care of, it still went back to eat its own vomit. In like manner, the pig that was washed and clean didn't stay that way long, and so returned right back to what it ultimately liked best, being filthy, its old ways. And that is exactly who we are all too often. Although we have it good and know better and have seen that we can walk away from misery and corruption and filth and be saved, we are still dedicated to our past and not Christ. Did we not see in all of our prior passages that those who truly accept salvation, genuine salvation, God will not let them ever turn away again. He will never let us go back to our vomit and the mud pit and that God will keep us secure until Christ returns and we won't go back. This passage also indicates, without question, that it would have been better not to have even dabbled with God 
than having truly found out the truth and then denying it. And here's a great response from God on that. Revelation 3.16 So then, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Yes, God will vomit, spit, spew, whatever word you choose on this, you out of his mouth when we dabble in his goodness and love. God is not a God of dabbling or fence riding. He is a God of commitment. We commit to him and he commits to us, just like purification. There is no sort of commitment in life. I'm hoping at this point, if you had doubts on this portion of the topic, you are at least giving new thought on this with God. And I believe we have sufficiently utilized enough of God's word and his words have been made quite clear to you. There is, however, one remaining question that could arise, so let's cover that now. Can those who are truly and are genuinely saved backslide? And the answer to that is yes. And that is not at all a contradiction to anything that has been presented so far. And here is our evidence. Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Right out of the gate, we see we keep sinning. We see that God is not surprised. And not only do we keep sinning and we don't surprise God with that, he actually loves the ones he can discipline and chastise. And why? Because he received us as his own. And that's part of God being a parent to his children. We also see that we can and will be disciplined for taking a step away from God and attempting to live our own life as we see fit. Here we see this repeated in Revelation 3.19. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Now we see through both of these passages that the only reason God reproves and disciplines and chastises his children, believers, is because he sincerely loves us. And he sincerely loves us because we are his. And even though we are doing wrong, we will repent and we will want to because we want to ultimately please our Father, God, and do what is right. The proof on that? 1 Corinthians 1, 8-9. He will also keep us firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And 2 Corinthians 5.17 states, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Isn't that incredible? Off with the old, on with the new. And no, that does not mean we are anywhere near perfect yet. It does mean, however, that we are made right with God. Off with our serving Satan and on with serving God. Rejecting the master of evil and accepting and serving the master of righteousness. Let's conclude with this. Luke 19.10 For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And when was the last time you or someone you knew had been rescued, saved, from a disastrous life-threatening situation and was later sent right back to that disastrous life-threatening place by the person who rescued or saved them? I've personally never witnessed that or seen that or heard of that happening. And so it is with our perfect God who will never rescue you, save you from Satan, just to return you to Satan, just because you made an error that is common to everyone and that of sin. Let's pray. 
Father, we come to you now needing to repent and needing to turn from our old ways. Guide us and direct our paths as we live our lives in you, that we would no longer live in fear and distress, but freedom and peace. We are grateful that you are true and absolute and do not go back on your word and promises with anyone. Thank you for keeping us close to you even when we want to walk away. You are still there and you never change your opinion, love, and desire for us. Teach us to seek you first and what it is that you desire of us in a relationship and that we would seek wisdom and knowledge from you and your word when we are uncertain. Fill those who are struggling in this area of their lives right now with understanding that you are not a fence-riding God, but a committed God and a God of permanency when we genuinely believe and trust in you. Now we ask all of this in the name of the one who saves, Jesus Christ, our Lord and eternal Savior. If you are joining us by podcast, please visit our website at faceyourfaith.com for more information and resources. Thank you.